This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Sander Katwala. Sander Katwala is the director of British Future, which is an independent, non-partisan think tank based in London. Sander, you recently uh, co-authored and published a pamphlet called How Not Brackets Brackets to Talk About Europe. And I think you're, one of your opening uh, thoughts, which is very provocative, is that the two camps, ins and outs, who have a kind of core vote of about 20% each, are not doing enough to reach out to uncommitted, undecided voters. Uh, could you amplify that thought, please? Yes, so partly because we're an independent, non-partisan think tank, we decided to get above the fray in talking about why this referendum matters. And it's a very important moment of choice for the British people who've got to decide this really big issue, not, not in Parliament, but in a public vote. Do we stay in Europe or not? And the problem for the two campaigns is, of course, they're, they're, it's prime time now. They've got to convince everybody that they're right about the thing they most care about. Some people have been waiting for a referendum for 40 years since they lost the last one, and other people probably fearing it, but know it's very, know it's very important to, um, you know, to try and hold on to our EU membership. And they know why it matters. But the British people out there have not joined one of these campaigns. They didn't um, read the Maastricht Treaty and were horrified that their sovereignty had already disappeared and they were living in a fantasy world to believe they lived in a democracy. They haven't really believed the argument from big business and city and maybe the Labour Party at the last election that it would be terribly dangerous to have a referendum and let people make their minds up because they might make the wrong choice. So understanding how the undecided voter sees this, such as they know it's very important, it does seem very confusing, they've never really got what all the passion is about, will decide who wins and who loses. Okay, but you seem to make the point also that, that you're very critical about both the in-camp and the out-camp, and when it comes to the in-camp you say that they're not doing enough to, 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 to muster arguments that resonate with voters emotionally, um, you know, embracing issues about our nation's history and symbols of British identity, but isn't that the territory normally occupied by the out-camp? I think both sides have to get onto the territory that they feel uncomfortable with. If you make the sort of classic pro-European, it's obviously good for us, why doesn't Britain just get on with feeling European now? You'll, you'll win the vote in London with graduates, with the Liberal Democrat vote, and with graduates who vote Labour, and that won't be 50% of, of the country. And so saying, you know, I don't know why we're having this, UKIP have started this argument, just, you know, go home, nothing much to see here will work for the people who already agree to you. So this question of identity is very important. And there's always been this argument from the pro-Europeans, I think, a hint that says, if only Britain just could forget a little bit about all of that history that's gone now with the empire, if only it could get on with realising there aren't big countries like Britain and small countries like Belgium, there are only small countries now, then it could feel happier being more European because it would feel less British. Well, I don't think you win a referendum in Britain by saying you guys haven't really realised you're Belgium, really. I mean, there may be some truth in that, and the Guardian editorial writer would probably think we should have realised that at the time of Suez. But people don't feel about that. So I think you have to say, you know, your proud patriotic Britishness should be about being part of it, being out there, being European, and so on. Not, you know, we're too small, we won't exist. Um, as Nick Clegg said, we'll be Billy No-Mates if we go. That's a very depressing reason to stay in the European Union. OK, um, but you also go on to say that um, the in-campaigns, broadly defined, not the, just the official one, they tend to focus too much on, on facts, but surely facts are important in the debate. Well, facts are fine, but we've got a debate and we're already hearing it now 
where one says, well, you've made up all of your facts, and they say, no, we haven't, you've made up all of your facts. And if you're already in one of the sides, then you know who you trust, and you know why you don't trust the populists who will be making hay with something, or why you don't trust the, um, the establishment or the elites who didn't change their mind since the Euro. But the undecided voter just hears a barrage of facts, and the BBC, every time someone says it's good for the economy, the broadcasting rules say they have to have someone else saying, well, I'm not so sure, I think it's bad. And so this is about facts and some people will try and you know work out who is being honest with facts and of course both sides will be pushing their luck but it's basically about a set of uncertain claims about the future of the economy about the scale of risk if we leave or potential benefit if we do so about actually working out which parts of our international trade belong on this uh, uh, set of relationships with the European Union and those will be gut instinct calls, they will be about what we feel about the opportunity, how risky we think it is, but also I think about less tangible issues about identity, sovereignty and so on, that you, that you can't put sort of down to 0.3% of this and 5% of that. Okay. But when you go on to say that um, the in-campaign has to engage with voters' concerns about immigration from the EU under free movement rules, uh, an area they'd rather leave well alone, but how can they engage on that very sensitive and very touchy, politically sensitive issue? I think they will have to, and I think they don't want to. And I saw, I saw one spokesman for um, the Stronger In campaign saying free movement isn't on the ballot paper, well that's going to come as a surprise to a lot of people who are going out and ticking the ballot paper because they think that it is. And to a large extent, the Remain campaign have to realise we're having this referendum because of immigration and the salience of immigration over the last few years is what's turned Europe into an issue where people did want to say in a way that the old red tape and regulation didn't. And they've got a difficulty because there are things to say about immigration, such as that some people like it a lot and think it brings cultural diversity and there's a net contribution to the economy that, that, that are true and credible, but credible to the people who already agree with you. Graduates doing well who live in the big cities. So admitting that this choice, if we choose to stay in, means free movement's part of the deal, there's a bigger deal that makes it a price worth paying, and it does mean higher immigration than you might otherwise have wanted in terms of unskilled East European immigration. It's a hard thing to admit, but the public already know it's true because right. they've lived in the country in the last 10 years as you know, polls and others have come up. They like the migrants who've come to this country and worked hard and played by the rules, but they've never felt the government's got a grip on it. So it would be better to say this is part of what being in the European Union means and here's a plan to handle it locally better and not therefore cut off Britons from the opportunity to do the same or be part of this broader club. If you're always trying to change the subject, I think the public sort of think that's going to be more of the same. High immigration, affecting us on the ground, but the elites in Westminster and in business, because they benefit from the European Union, don't want to talk about it. That's why they won't deal with the pressures. And so I think a really good message would be to say, we think there are real pressures you've experienced. We also think there are gains to the economy and our society of doing this. Let's show you our plan to deal with the pressures, handle the gains, and you make your choice, leap in the dark to get out, or our plan to handle it. Without talking about it, I don't think people will have trust that it will be handled. Well, this immigration challenge, as you describe it, is a kind of mirror image of the challenge also faced by the out campaign, because you're equally critical of the out campaigners, uh, in that, that they, they may turn off uh, the undecided voters if they bang on only about immigration, as if that's the only issue. Could you again develop that? Yes, and I think, I, think, I think the in-campaign need to realise immigration's part of this campaign and I have to talk about it. And some people in the out campaign need to realise that the choice of Europe is only about immigration. And a stop immigration referendum, it sounds quite attractive to 
to people whose view is shut the borders. But that is not a majority of our country. And certainly um, a very interesting thing, which I've called the Farage paradox, which is that three years of UKIP rising in the polls, setting the agenda and doing very well in winning four million votes, but not winning seats to go with it, didn't help out go ahead of in. Actually, it put in back neck and neck when it used to be losing without. And that's because people who didn't like the intensity of that um, swung more heavily towards the European Union, big swings towards Europe during the rise of UKIP in London, in Scotland, among ethnic minorities and among people who are anxious about immigration and want it controlled, but think UKIP have gone a bit far. The out campaign needs to not have the tone of Nigel Farage, which was you know, quite a Marmite offer, and it was very good for the 13% of people who voted for him. And it's made other people, you know, it's made it very, very difficult for Scots to vote out because they see UKIP as bringing xenophobia into the debate. We've seen some out voices, including in UKIP, Douglas Carswell, their only MP, Stephen Wolfe, their immigration spokesman, is speaking at British Future recently, making very clear they know they've got to change the tone. Right. That they've got to say it's a balanced approach about immigration, but actually it's about engaging with the world and not, you know, if the out campaign is put the world back to 1950, we didn't like the last 50 years, some people will vote for it, but most people will say that's not the real world. Well, since you mentioned Nigel Farage, you say also it's not just a question about what the messages are, it's also who the messengers are, the people delivering the messages, and you, and you pick out specifically Nigel Farage, and on, on the outside, obviously, and on the inside, Tony Blair. So if these two well-known personalities are kind of disqualified in your judgment, what kind of people should be making the, leading the debates on both sides of the... Well, of course, Farage and Blair have the problem that, you know, Farage are very popular with people who agree with them and toxic with people who don't. Blair actually scored even worse, which did surprise us, but it turned out that even people who agreed with him on Europe didn't trust him. So I think that's something about of being very popular a decade ago and, you know, that the fashions change. I think people might really listen to people, if you're an undecided voter, who come down on one side or the other and can credibly tell you why they feel they could have been on the other side. So, you know, Nick Clegg will have his audience, but we all know Nick Clegg would always be a pro-European. We'll have to say, look, it's obvious what the right answer is. To the undecided voter, it isn't obvious. So somebody like William Hague, um, who said, you know, he'll support the Remain campaign, has said, you know, when I was party leader of the Conservatives, there were all these things I didn't like about the European Union, and I still don't like them. So I can connect with you about that. But when I look at the big picture of our place in the world, I think it's the right choice. That's much more persuasive, because you're actually engaging with what the voter is thinking when they're talking at the school gate to other parents about what this thing is about. So I think, I think the people who could be on either side um, and can talk about feeling torn and making a choice will be important. That's why I think the sort of battle for Boris Johnson and Theresa May you know, has been quite intense and no-one's quite sure they're waiting for the Prime Minister's renegotiation, which is what we're all meant to do. No-one's quite sure where they come down, but I think people like that who could have been in either camp will be more valuable than the sort of stalwart campaigners. Okay, and one final question. You say also, and I quote, a referendum that's good for Britain means one in which as many people as possible have their say. It should also be one in which voters have a clear idea of what they are voting for. To this end, we propose a third campaign, quote-unquote, to broaden engagement, increase participation in the referendum. What is this third campaign, Sunder? I think the third campaign for us is the idea that everybody on both sides, and this was supported, uh, this call, by people like Dan Hanan, the MEP who's an out voice, and Laura Sanders, who is the European Movement for In. We should all be able to 
to agree that the most participation possible is good for democracy and we should all ask ourselves what we can do about that and I think it's incredibly important to make that argument because some people will be saying oh we need to get turnout up so my side will win if young people don't vote we won't win for Remain or if we don't get DE and unskilled voters out in their droves um, you know in, in left behind places out won't win. well people can do that if they want but people who don't take a choice in this referendum should agree that a big referendum is good for Britain so I think schools could do a lot with how they engage 18-year-olds in the referendum. I think universities could do a lot. I think workplaces could do a great deal, actually, in a balanced and neutral way, as well as maybe sometimes they'll have a view, just by giving people some of the information they want and giving people the space to talk about it with other people and feel more engaged to vote. So I hope the Electoral Commission will also look at this idea and uh, take on board the view that sometimes, you know, sending letters to people aren't on the register saying, do you know there's a referendum? That will do something. But actually there are much more innovative ways that we've seen with young groups like Bite the Ballot going out and talking to young people and saying, it's a big decision. Be part of it. Here's one view, here's another view. But the really important thing is if Britain's going to decide, will you be there? I think people who maybe will stay out of the heat of the kitchen on taking a side could get behind the plan to just say, have your voice, have your say. If we all decide, maybe we'll all be able to agree to live by the decision and not be doing this all again in a year or two's time. <laughs> Sunder Katwada, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.